Good morning. My name is Devin Kahn. I'm an assistant pastor here at Highlands. Work primarily with the youth and college and parents. Uh, it's good to be with you this morning. Uh, it's an amazing opportunity to get to come up here and uh, attempt to preach the word. Uh, the passage this morning, if you have your Bibles, is John chapter 8. There are pew Bibles underneath your seats if you don't have a Bible. Uh, it's John chapter 8. And in the pew Bible, it's page 895. This is John chapter 8, starting in verse 48. And as you're turning there, let me just kind of bring you up to speed. If you haven't been around in a while, the current sermon series we're doing is called The Jesus We Need. We are looking at Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible, get this, from the Bible. Everyone seems to have an opinion about Jesus. And this passage is one of many where if people read this passage, I think in general people's opinion of Jesus would change. This is John chapter 8, starting in verse 48. Uh, But before we read, I just want to, again, bring you up to speed. If you weren't here last week or two weeks ago, we're going to read the last section of this chapter. But just know this whole chapter, there is a conversation going on between the religious Jewish leaders of the day, the Pharisees, and Jesus. And this conversation is escalating as the chapter progresses. It starts out with the the Jewish leaders of the day, the Jewish religious leaders, asking Jesus, who are you? And then it escalates by the end of the chapter to, who do you think you are? You see, Jesus tells them something. Uh, before our passage, he tells them, hey, religious leaders, your father is the devil. And so you can see why these religious leaders are slightly upset at this point. But then at the end of our passage, it progresses even more where Jesus says something even crazier than your daddy is the devil. He, he tells them something so crazy and so infuriating that the Jewish religious leaders want to kill him. So let's read the tail end of this chapter, starting in verse 48 of chapter 8. We'll read through the rest of the chapter. John 8:48. The Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as do the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and have you seen Abraham? 
Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Let's pray before we dig in. Lord, thank you that your word does not return empty. May we this morning encounter the Jesus of the Bible this morning and believe. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you ever feel, after going to church, overwhelmed? And I'm not talking about the things that you're faced with when you get home. I'm talking you leave this building feeling overwhelmed. I do. You may have walked into church this morning thinking, I should probably come to church more. I really need to work on that. I really need to work on getting plugged in at church. And then you leave church thinking, yeah, I really need to work on going to church and I need to work on my prayer life. Or maybe you walk into church thinking, man, my prayer life is pretty terrible. I really need to work on my prayer life. And I need to really work on believing that prayer works and that it's needed in my life. I really need to work on my prayer life. And then you leave church thinking, I really need to work on my prayer life. And I need to get better at loving the people around me. You see, if you come to church, there's usually two or three things that we say from up front or in your Sunday school class that we need to work on. And then that doesn't mention if you come to a Wednesday night class and maybe you do a small group every week and and there are other ways. Now you're adding up, there's about four or five things that you need to be working at. And then the next week comes and it's four to five new things that you're not doing very well, that I'm not doing very well, that I really need to get better at. So it's easy to leave church even feeling overwhelmed. I'm confident that I could spend the rest of my time this morning telling you things that I need to get better at. And this long list ranges from wanting to be a better eater to wanting to be a better reader. The list is long. Easily I could fill up 30 minutes with that list. I think we all have a long list of things we would like to get better at. A better singer, a better manager of my time, a better parent, a better child, and on and on and on it goes. These realities in our life, these limiting realities that we face, are are sending us a very clear message. These limiting realities that we all face on a daily basis, they are screaming at us this. We are not enough. This is our current and forever fallen condition. And this is a constant source of frustration in my life. Falling short of my own standards for me, and even worse, falling short of God's standards for me. A constant source of frustration. I wish I was better. At so many things. We are not enough. And because we've fallen short of these standards, 
of God's standards in particular, we are not deserving of what we're looking for from God and other people. We're looking for glory. We're looking to be celebrated. We're looking to be thanked. We're looking to be seen as awesome. And yet, we are not enough. And we fall short of God's standards. And we don't get what we're looking for, and that's glory. Because we're never enough, and we never will be. And the penalty, God says, for falling short of my standards is eternal death. Instead of glory, we deserve God's wrath. But do you really believe that? Do you really believe that you and I are deserving of the wrath of God? Wouldn't you want to defend your case a little bit? Wouldn't you want to tell God, God, you could do much worse than me? Am I really deserving of your wrath, the eternal death penalty? I don't think I've done enough to deserve that. God, do you think I could get a little credit here? Here are some things I have done. So instead of biting into the temptation to defend yourself before a holy God, here's what this passage we read this morning is telling us to do. Believe in Jesus, for he is deserving of glory. This passage that we read this morning, John chapter 8, is telling us this. To believe in Jesus, for he is deserving of glory. And this is very clear in chapter 8. This is very clear in all of John. In fact, the whole book of John, John says, is about us believing that Jesus is the Christ and that by believing in him we may have eternal life, that we won't have to face the death penalty of eternity. And that's very much, I think, what John chapter 8 is getting at. Believe in Jesus, for he is deserving of glory. And we're talking about man's glory. Jesus is deserving of man's glory. And we're talking about God the Father's glory. The Jesus we need is deserving of glory. So believe in him. Abandon your own record and fully dive into the adoration of him who is deserving of glory. But what did Jesus do to deserve the Father's glory? What about Jesus makes him special as the only one who lived among us that is actually and really deserving of glory? Man's glory and God's glory. What did Jesus do to deserve God's glory? Why believe in Jesus? Why not believe in Gandhi or Buddha? or Muhammad, or Abraham, or John the Baptist? Why believe in Jesus? What did Jesus do? I think this passage gives us two things that Jesus did and still is doing that gives us reason to believe in Jesus. Two things. First, why believe in Jesus? Because Jesus always meets his Father's expectations. And secondly, why believe in Jesus? Because Jesus always is his father's equal. So first, why is Jesus deserving of God's glory? Why believe in Jesus and not those other figures? First, 
because Jesus always meets his father's expectations. And let's be clear before we before we read on. Let's be clear on what the father's expectations are. So we know what he's meeting. The father's expectations are the following. Glorify him and enjoy him at all times. That's what he expects. Love him with all your being and keep his commands always. That's another expectation of the father. Another way to put it, be holy as he is holy. These are the expectations that the father has on all of us. All of us. And Jesus is always meeting those at all times. And that's why he is deserving of glory. Jesus is the only one who lived among us that can say, check, check, check. Jesus always meets his father's explanation or his father's expectations. Look at verse 49. Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Jesus' life is all about the Father's honor. Look at verse 50. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Jesus' life is all about the Father's glory. Look at verse 55. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Jesus' life is all about the Father's will. It's all about the Father's honor. Jesus' life is all about the Father's glory. Jesus says, I'm not after my own glory. God is the one who's seeking to glorify me. Jesus says twice in this passage, I am not going after my own glory. Because the Jews were thinking, who do you think you are? Who do you, well, you're so arrogant, claiming to be this big shot, claiming to be God himself. And Jesus is like, it's not about me. It's not about my glory. It's the Father who's seeking my glory. But Jesus' life is all about the Father's honor, all about the Father's glory, and all about the Father's will. He keeps his word at all times. Jesus literally knows the Father like no one else does. He loves the Father like no one else does. And he obeys the Father like no one else does. Jesus does it all, and he does it at all times perfectly. The Father expects this kind of treatment from every one of us. And yet Jesus is the only one who delivers. Jesus is the only one who always meets his Father's expectations. I just want to pause for a second and let's just take this truth in. How often have we as children not met our parents' expectations? How often as we, the child in the family, not met our father's expectations? And I'm not talking about the crazy ones. I'm talking about the healthy and godly expectations that a parent has for their child. How often have we, as children in our families, not met our parents' expectations? And flip that. How often, as parents, we can say our children have not met our expectations? Not the the crazy ones, the godly ones. How often have our children not honored us 
respected us? How often have our children not pleased us? In chapter 8, verse 29, the Bible, uh, John says, At all times Jesus is pleasing the Father. How often have we as the children not pleased our parents, not obeyed our parents, not had a good attitude towards something our parents expected of us? How often have we, the children, defied our parents' will by our thoughts and our words and our deeds? Jesus has met. He has fulfilled. He is the one who has fulfilled the purpose of man. He, we were supposed to glorify God and enjoy him at all times. But we can't. We're not enough. But Jesus did. And he's still doing that today. Jesus has glorified God and enjoyed him at all times and is still doing it to this day. So believe in Jesus, for he always meets his father's expectations. But what difference does that truth make in our lives? Well, first, we can be confident before a holy God. Our confidence as Christians, our confidence as those loved by God is going to be based on only on Jesus meeting the Father's expectations. We agree that we are not enough. And you and I must constantly be reminded that the distance between the Holy Father and His expectations for all of us in this room and what we deliver, the distance between that is infinite. The way Jefferson Bethke says, he says this, trying to be good enough To earn heaven is like trying to jump to Hawaii from the coast of California. Everyone looks like a fool. Some drown. Some get three feet. Some get ten feet. But no one even gets close to Hawaii. God's expectations are to love him with our whole being and to always keep his commands. Look at verse 51 of chapter 8. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. There's the expectation. All you have to do and all I have to do is keep the Lord's word at all times. That's all you have to do. And when you do that, then you will never taste death. You will never taste eternal death. That's all you got to do. And so that's when we say, we're not enough. But the good news is Jesus met every word of the Father. He, he, He fully met every expectation. So put your faith in Jesus. Believe in Jesus. Sinclair Ferguson says, faith gets a man out of himself and into Christ. Its strength, therefore, depends on the character of Christ. So even those of us who have weak faith have the same strong Christ as others. The saving power of faith resides in the object of our faith. It's not our faith that's going to save us. It's Jesus that saves us through faith. Believe in Jesus, for he is deserving of glory. He not always meets his father's expectations, but secondly... He's deserving of glory because he always is his father's equal. 
Because Jesus always is his father's equal. Let's look at verses 56 through 59. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old. And have you not seen Abraham? Or And have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. We see Jesus over and over again claim what he's claiming in verse 58. All through the book of John. I mean, talking about John 1, 1. Through the rest of this book, Jesus is claiming something that is going to get him killed. He's claiming to be, I am. He's claiming to be God himself. He takes the same name that God the Father gives to Moses back in Exodus chapter 3 when Moses says, God, whom, what should I call you? When I go to the Israelites and I deliver your message to them, who should I say told me? What's your name, God? Who are you that I can tell the Israelites what your name is? And God says, tell them, tell the Israelites, it's I am who sent you. And so Jesus here, just like he does all throughout John, and we've looked at other I am statements in this sermon series, it's all pointing back to the fact that Jesus is claiming to be equal to the Father. He's claiming to be God. And that is going to get him killed. Over and over again, we see in John chapter 1, I mentioned John chapter 1 already, in the beginning was the Word. And we know later the Word, we're talking about Jesus here. So let me just rephrase it slightly. In the beginning was Jesus. And Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. That's John chapter 1, 1. And so all Jesus is doing here is verifying what John has already said about him. Over and over again, he claims to be God. And that's why he can claim, yes, before Abraham was, I am. You know why? Because I was with God. I am God. Jesus' teachings, what he said, did not make people want to kill him. Jesus' miracles did not make People want to kill him. It's Jesus' claim that he is God that people wanted to kill him. The Jewish religious leaders wanted to kill him. And you might be thinking that could be a slight overreaction, picking up stones, chucking it in Jesus' direction, just because he claimed to be I am. But actually, that is a very understandable response, because in their mind, Jesus is committing blasphemy. In their minds, this guy, how could this Jesus of Nazareth claim to be God? We have one God. You cannot be him. We're killing you. But Jesus is unlike any other. Christianity is unlike any other religion. C.S. Lewis said, The majority of religions start with a great human teacher and later on, that great human teacher is then deified by the followers. 
Most religions in our day start with a great human teacher and later on that human teacher in the eyes of their, fo- of, of their followers is lifted up to kind of equal status with God. They have been deified. But Christianity is not like that. Christianity is different in that Jesus of Nazareth claimed to be God. C.S. Lewis said this, On the one side, clear, definite moral teaching. On the other, claims which, if not true, are those of a megalomaniac, compared with whom Hitler was the most sane and humble of men. Will you believe in Jesus' claims that he is his father's equal? It's unlike any other religion. Lewis goes on to say, if you had gone to Buddha and asked him, are you the son of Brahma? Which is a leading God in the Buddhist religion. Are you the son of Brahma? Are you like him? Are you him? He would have said, my son, you are still in the veil of illusion. If you had gone to Socrates and asked, are you Zeus? He would have laughed at you. If you had gone to Muhammad and asked, are you Allah? He would first have rent his clothes and then cut off your head. In our culture, we see a lot of medium approval of Jesus. Lukewarm, mild approval of Jesus. A good man with good things to say, and we should be a whole lot more like him. Everyone would benefit if people just listened to Jesus a little bit more. Lewis goes on to say, the idea of a great moral teacher to say that Jesus is just a good man with good things to say and we should be more like him, Lewis points out that that's just not an option. Jesus himself does not leave us the option of thinking that. Lewis says, Jesus has left us, each person, with three options on what to think about Jesus. Your opinion must fall in the following three categories. Either you're scared of him, either you hate him, or either you adore him. You bow down and worship him. Those are your three options. Jesus never met anyone who left thinking, oh yeah, Good guy with good things to say. I should be more like him. No, people either left him, hating him, or people wanted to kill him, or people bowed down and worshipped him. So will you and I believe in Jesus? And what's the big deal about believing that Jesus is God? Do I really have to believe that Jesus is equal with the Father? Yes. Here's one reason why it's such a big deal. Jesus being God explains many other controversies of the New Testament. One could ask, could Jesus really be born of a virgin? Really? Yes, he's God. Could Jesus really do all those miracles? Yes, he's God. Could Jesus really die and come back to life three days later? Yes, he's God. Could Jesus really pay the penalty and rescue sinners from dying in their sin? Yes, he's God. 
Let's look at chapter 8, verse 24. It's not a part of our passage, but I think it'll clearly show what Jesus has done for us. Chapter 8, verse 24. Jesus says, I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Go back to our passage. Everyone who keeps my word will never taste death. And Jesus says, the only way you are going to keep my word and never taste death is if you admit that you and I, we are not good enough. We will never be. And we put our faith in Jesus. Yes, Jesus had to be fully human. He had to be fully human and he had to be a fully sinless human in order to substitute for us. In order for Jesus to be the spotless lamb and to be the most pleasing, the most perfect sacrifice of all time, he had to be human and he had to be spotless and he had to be sinless. Yes, Jesus had to be fully human to save us. And yes, he had to be fully God. And that's why John, in chapter 1, can say, he he looks at Jesus coming and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, some people will take these truths, this idea of believe in Jesus, and they will take it and they will run with it by saying things like this. Jesus has done it all, so I don't have to do anything. Believe in Jesus. Believe in Jesus. He is deserving of glory, not me. He has met the Father's expectations, not me. I don't need to because Jesus has done it. Believe in Jesus. He's done everything so that I don't have to do anything. But the Bible says this. The Bible says... I didn't do anything to deserve this, but Jesus did it all for me, so now worship him. Now worship him. And we know from the scriptures that worship involves knowing Jesus. It involves growing in our knowledge of Jesus. Worship involves loving Jesus. And worship involves growing in our love for Jesus. Worship involves living for Jesus and growing in our obedience to Jesus. Worship Jesus, because of everything he's done for you. Over and over again, in chapter 8, Jesus is telling his people to keep his word. He's not just saying, unless you all keep my word and you can't do it, so don't worry about it. I did it all for you. You're good. You don't have to do anything. That's not the message. Jesus is saying, keep my word and you'll never taste death. And I keep his word, so believe in me. Now go keep his word. He's done everything for us, so worship him. There were two songs that I heard this past week on the radio. One starts like this. I wish I found some better sounds no one's ever heard. I wish I had a better voice that sang some better words. I wish I found some chords in an order that is new. This artist wants to be better. This artist knows that he's not enough. He so badly wants to be enough for his audience and the world at large, and it's stressing him out. Fear 
of not being enough is weighing heavy upon him as a musician, as a person. The other song I heard this week is called Fear is a Liar. It goes like this. When he told you you're not good enough, when he told you you're not right, when he told you you're not strong enough to put up a good fight, when he told you you're not worthy, when he told you you're not loved, when he told you you're not beautiful, that you'll never be enough. Fear. He is a liar. Now, the first song, the man stressed out about not being enough, it could easily, the second song could easily be the answer to him by saying something like, man, you just need to overcome your fears. You just need to somehow figure out a way to not be afraid of not being enough. You just need to cast your fears aside. You need to overcome your weaknesses. You need to overcome your anxieties of not being enough and just either forget about it or move on or replace it with something. You just need to overcome it. But that's not the answer the Bible gives. The answer the Bible gives is that we are not good enough. We will never be good enough. But... Believe in Jesus because he is. He is deserving of glory. In Christ, God declares you good enough. In Christ, God declares you right. In Christ, God declares you strong enough. In Christ alone, God declares you worthy. So believe in Jesus for he is deserving of glory. Abandon our self-confidence and fully dive into the adoration and worship of Jesus, for he is deserving of glory. Jesus always and always is meeting the Father's expectations. And Jesus always is his Father's equal. Don't leave church today without trusting in Jesus. Because without him, you walk out that door as not enough. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we are not enough. Help us to see those limiting realities in all facets of our life, from not reading the Bible as we should, to not worshiping as we should, to not knowing you as we should, to not loving you as we should, or loving others as we should. Uh, Lord, there is so much, so many things that we need to get better at, and yet... Remind us this morning that it will never be enough to earn glory. It will never be enough to earn man's glory, and it will never be enough to earn your glory. May we believe in Jesus. May we put our faith in him. May we abandon ourselves. May we fully dive into him. And may our rest, may our peace come from the fact that we worship the one who is God, worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Behold, our God, our Lamb who was slain, who takes away the sins of the world. May we put our faith in Him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.